Terrorism is cancel culture at scale. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 268. It is January 27th, 2022. I'm glad that you're with me this morning. We have started streaming these shows uh, live on YouTube. I will be honest, YouTube is not my favorite platform in the world. I must, I much prefer just going straight audio, but I understand that in these times, the times that we live in, kids can't just have audio. You need all those other video components too. So if you're listening and you want to watch, feel free to watch right now. Our, our stream time is 9.30 a.m. plus 4 GMT. I don't know what that time is for you. But we've been streaming these lives, and and it has been uh, puts the pressure on. Before I was able to take all the sweet time in the world to get an episode together, would often end up pushing late into the night. But now I have to stream at a certain time, so it's changing the dynamics a little bit. But I hope that you enjoy it as well. Well, as I said today, we are talking about terrorism and cancel culture, and how truly. Terrorism is cancel culture at scale. It is cancel culture that has been given full full birth to what cancel culture really is, which is a form of aggression and terrorism. Now, we talked about, about cancel culture or revenge culture or terrorism all early on, early on back in the days. Uh, with that boxing match, who was it? Uh, back on episode, I want to say episode 27. I could be wrong on that. I'll put the correct episode in the show notes. But cancel culture really comes from the root of shame and honor, and it comes from a root of revenge. It's saying, because I don't like you, because I don't like what you're doing, I am going to seek to ruin your life. I'm going to seek to destroy your life. Terrorism works in a similar way. It's saying, I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to use a form of guerrilla warfare to disrupt your nation, disrupt your society, cast fear into your hearts, fear that your future might not be certain. You don't know what might happen. This is the same thing with cancel culture, just on a, a smaller level. Cancel culture is, hey, I don't like your stance. I don't like what you said. I, I pulled up a tweet back from 2010, and I found out that you really are a bad person. So I'm going to threaten you by boycotting you as a person. I'm going to go to your employers and make sure that they don't work with you. I'm going to go to your friends and make sure that they don't become friends within you anymore. I'm going to make sure that anyone that associates with you is shame to associate with you and suffers consequences associating with you. Well, this is what we are seeing, but at a geopolitical scale, and it's a picture-perfect case when it comes to the Houthis versus the United Arab Emirates. We discussed this uh, slightly last week of how the United Arab Emirates have been bombed uh, by a drone and by a ballistic missile from Yemen by the Houthis, thanks to our friends in Iran. Right, this is a this is a proxy war between Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE in Yemen. Yep, uh, 
Iran is backing the Houthis. And because of this this ongoing conflict, Yemen is in one of the worst humanitarian crises of our time. Right now, we've spent a considerable amount of time speaking about the crisis that has happened and continues to happen in Afghanistan. But we, I can quickly forget about the ongoing crisis right next door in Yemen with 18 million people on the brink of starvation. Now, right before President Trump left office in 2021, he put the Houthis on the terrorist list. Right after President Joe Biden came into office, he took the Houthis off the terrorist list, saying putting them on a terrorist list really doesn't help anything because if they are on a terrorist watch list or list in general, then we can't get aid into Yemen. And there's millions of people who are, are dying, not only at the hands of Houthis, but at the hands of of no food, of lack of trade, of of no water, of no energy. Um, So the U.S. administration made the point of saying, putting them on a list really isn't going to help anything because we're not going to get aid to the millions of people that need it. We're not going to be able to come to an agreement with the Houthis if they're on this list. But taking them off the list then puts it at a place where We can still treat them as a bad organization, but we can get aid into the country. Well, now the Houthis are continuing to push forward, and they sent just two days ago another missile into the UAE. That's the image. If you're streaming on a podcast 2.0 certified app, you'd be able to look down at your telephone right now, hopefully not while you're driving, but you'd be able to see a picture of a down ballistic missile that was shot down reportedly by uh, U.S. air defense um, technology that the UAE is thankfully deploying. Now, this was in the Emirate of Abu Dhabi, heading for uh, the city of Abu Dhabi. I don't know. We don't know exactly where it was aimed. But the uh, first, first, I think we have to realize the severity and the shock of the situation, especially in the fact that it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like there is a a lot of international uproar or concern over this. Imagine imagine for a moment that a ballistic missile was shot down over Paris. Imagine for a moment a ballistic missile being shot down over London, over Tokyo, over Moscow. Imagine a ballistic missile being shot down over New York or L.A. or Seattle, Chicago. What would, what would the status of the world be? The major headlines all over the place, ballistic missiles shot down over New York City. It would be all over. Now, I, I agree with the, I understand why the UAE is downplaying this, because it would be playing straight into the hands of the Houthis. But we've been seeing this for months Ballistic missiles flying and being shot down over Riyadh. Explosions in in the southern part of Saudi Arabia. This is the reality that is happening in the Arab Peninsula, which is being downplayed because it is terrorism that is designed 
to build distrust. It's designed to make people want to pull their investments out and not feel safe. So they're not playing into it. With that, I do want to say, I believe, and this is you know reading the tea leaves, so to speak, it, but it's really not a, you don't have, this isn't a duh moment. This isn't a, oh, of course, have, I'll, I'll phrase it the other way, actually, and misspoke. This is kind of duh, what I'm about to say. It's like, of course, you can see it. In, the writing is on the wall. But we are in the middle of seeing and will continue to see massive uh, social geopolitical changes here in the region. And I believe in, in the region, I mean the, the Middle East. And I believe that we're only seeing the beginning of, of what is going to be unfolding over the next couple of years. We've already seen it with regime changes. We've seen it with uh, the passing away of uh, national leaders and the insane of new leaders. And so it doesn't necessarily, when I say that there's going to be massive social change, it doesn't mean that it's going to be all bad. It doesn't mean that it's going to come from some social uprising. But I do think that we are about to see a major shift in the Middle East, especially when it comes to U.S. policy, as U.S. policy is shifting in the globe, uh, that is going to outplay into different uh, positionings that we see in the Middle East. And I think we're beginning to see the tip of the iceberg here in the conflict between Iran and the Gulf nations, with missiles being shot over Abu Dhabi. So this is, the, this is why. This is why the Houthis are attacking uh, Abu Dhabi and the Emirates. The, on the 27th this morning, a Houthis military spokesperson, I guess it probably happened on the 26th, but you know, the article came out this morning. A military spokesperson for the Houthis said that his group could attack Expo 2020. In a tweet, he wrote, Expo you may not win with us. We advise you that you change your location. The Houthis Undersecretary of Ministry of Informa Information Ministry, excuse me, Nasser al-Din Amir, tweeted that the forces have what is worth displaying at the Dubai Expo, referring to the ballistic missile that the group claims to have manufactured and used during the attacks on the UAE, saying, hey, you should display what we are able to do at the expo. You should be afraid. Their entire strategy, the entire strategy of the Houthis right now is to cast fear into the UAE, essentially playing into cancel culture, saying we are going to destroy your tourism. We are going to destroy your business investment. We are going to disincentivize people from investing in a very safe nation a very prosperous nation, the United Arab Emirates, because once people see that missiles are flying over the nation and that it's a war-torn nation, who's going to want to go there on vacation? And right now, tourism makes up for 12% of the GDP in the United Arab Emirates. This is no different than cancel culture. This really is absolutely no different than cancel culture that we're seeing in the West and we're seeing here. It is terror. Cancel culture is terror. The, the thought behind cancel culture is, if I can put terror into your heart so much that you will change your stance, 
that other people won't want to do business with you, that other people will break contracts with you, that other people won't be your friend. If I can get you to change the social positioning and support system around you, then you will be forced to come to your knees because of the terror that I have struck into your hearts. Terrorism is just cancel culture moved to the highest and furthest geopolitical movement. So what does that mean for our lives? As I said, this year I plan to and I'm going to work on being less reactionary to the news. I do think there's a lot of value in looking at current events and and breaking down what is happening in current events. But I want to be more proactionary or to, to build strong culture, to build strong communities, to build strong families. Because I believe that really when it comes to a lot like these geopolitical things that are happening in UAE and in Yemen or what we're seeing in Ukraine and Russia, which we're probably going to be touching on a little bit next week, we, we don't have any power. We don't have any say. We don't have any control. It's just clickbait. It's just who's and ha's and hoorahs and it gets us all up in a tissy. But it doesn't really affect our personal lives. And I, as a person, I want the things that I do to impact the quality of my life, not just make me more informed. So how does this not only inform what's going on in the world, but how does it inform how I ought to walk out and live in the world? Well, that comes back down to cancel culture on a small scale. What happens when someone wants to cancel you? What happens when you want to cancel someone? Now, there are many instances where I have seen boycotts or cancel culture used in probably what would be considered a positive way. I don't think it's all negative. I don't think it's wrong to vote with your wallet to say, hey, I really don't like what this organization is doing. I don't like the supply chain of this organization. I don't like what this organization represents. They're not part of my tribe. I'm going to bring my dollars and spend them elsewhere. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We've seen many people do that with what's happening in China, with the Uyghur people saying, we are not going to support this ongoing genocide in China with the Uyghur people. I think that's a a good thing. So it's not all bad, but there is an aspect of cancel culture when it moves beyond just boycotting and raising awareness, awareness about an issue, and it moves to threatening individuals' Uh, ability to make a living for themselves, ability to survive. And, And this is where, even in my mind, I'm a little bit of a fox in this way. I can see things from both sides. When I think about this issue, I can see things from both sides as if someone is committing genocide or if someone is a full blown sex trafficker and their company is dealing with uh, slave child labor, well, yeah, I want them to go out of business. I want them to stop what they're doing. And this is a similar uh, tactic that the Houthis are making, saying, you are bombing our nation, which is being disputed if the the Houthis as a uh, militant group really, if Yemen belongs to them and if they're the best leadership for Yemen. But they're saying, you are attacking us. We want to make you stop. But here's where it becomes terrorism on a, an international level. They're bombing civilians. They're targeting civilian forces. They're targeting 
airports. They're targeting oil tankers. They're not targeting military personnel. When we are building our families, when we're building our culture, we must do so from a place of rather than seeking revenge and rather than trying to manipulate and control other people, we should create an environment where people are welcomed in to see a better way to live. The antidote and the antithesis of cancel culture is forgiveness culture, is a culture of grace, is a culture of understanding, is a culture of saying, I understand that we see things differently. Let's not resort to violence to settle our disputes, even though there are for sure times when there is just war or when someone should be brought to a court of law and and suffer punishments for their crimes. But let's on a person-to-person, conflict-to-conflict level, individual-to-individual, let's meet and talk at a table and let's extend an olive branch of forgiveness to one another. And we can begin to model that in our families. We can begin to model that with our children. We can begin to model that with the way that we interact with people who don't think like us, which brings us to our next segment. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we've exchanged truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. Well, this cancel culture theme carries on in a thread into this next theme. But there are two things that happen that I think are particularly outrageous. Uh, maybe not particularly outrageous, but definitely a we have lost our way as a society where where are we going? Have we lost our bearing? And how do we find it? Uh, there's two things that happened this week. First, the Pope came out and told parents that if their children are gay that or come out as gay, that parents should not condemn them, but offer them support. He spoke, this is from Reuters, he's Quote, he spoke in unscripted comments at his weekly audience, referencing the difficulties that parents can face in raising offspring. He said those issues include parents who see different sexual orientations in their children and how to handle this and how to accompany their children and not hide behind an attitude of condemnation. Now, this is a very controversial subject when it comes to the monotheistic religions, both Judaism, uh, Christianity, and the Catholic Church, and Islam. All three uh, strictly condemn homosexuality as a sin. Uh, we, We know that when people deny truth, when people deny that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth, it opens, it opens the reality up to the fact that, or to the belief that, it's not a fact, but to a belief that, well, if there is no creator and we are just a bunch of determinist sacks of chemicals, there is no divine moral order or law, then why not do whatever satisfies my flesh? And there, we're given over to darkness. Humans are given over to darkness because we much rather hide in darkness than come to light. So this is a problem. We clearly see 
in these monotheistic faiths that we do not stand by homosexual relations. While at the same time, at least in, in Christianity, Islam functions a little differently. I believe Judaism functions a little differently. But I can speak from my point of view of faith. We should not seek to control other people. If someone doesn't believe in my faith, I should not be able to push my beliefs externally on them because external measures do not create internal morals. It, by and large, to, to some degree, it does. For instance, when it comes to abortion laws, having a law that says, thou shalt not kill your unborn baby in the womb, that actually does lead to innocent children not being murdered. So there is a, a place where we have to take the plumb line of morality and apply it to law and justice, while at the same time, I don't think that if a child or if my child or if your child came out under a different sexual orientation, that we should condemn them, shame them, uh, that we should throw them in jail. Because, and, and here's, here's why. Because I don't think that that would lead to an outcome that is right. I don't think that would lead them to an outcome that we want to see happen. And this is, I believe, is what the, the Pope is saying. He's also made it clear, the, the Pope in recent years, that he does not support gay marriage. But he has said, if there's a homosexual couple, they should be able to have a civil union, and that civil union should provide them tax write-offs, etc. I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm fine with that, and this is why. Because marriage ought to be a religious institution. And the moment that marriage became a state institution instead of a religious institution, it blurred the lines of what marriage is. If you want to get married, you should go to your sheikh, your mullah, your priest, your, your local Hindu temple, and have that religious man create a religious union be, as a covenant between you and God. It's not a covenant between you and the state. So the Pope has, uh, he does have a good argument, and he does continue to say that by just condemning children, it's not helping the issue. We actually have to show them love, and it's through love that they are then drawn in, hopefully, to see another light, to see another truth, to understand and giving the parents space to understand what might be going on. Is there something underlying in this issue that needs to be healed or solved? At the end of it, the, the Pope said, the church treats, teaches, excuse me, the church teaches that gays should be treated with respect, that while same-sex acts are sinful, same-sex tendencies are not. For instance, what, the, what this breaks down and means is that same-sex acts, just like if a person is having adultery, they're in their marriage, and they're having an affair, that is sinful. Just as if someone's single and they're sleeping around, the, the Christian church, the Muslim uh, faith, the Jewish faith, they all believe that that is sinful. Likewise, if you have same-sex tendencies 
and you're sleeping around, that that is sinful. It is the act that is sinful. At the same time, within the, 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 the Christian faith, it moves beyond just to what you do, but it's what you think. And if you are a person who is continually bound up in pornography or bound up in, uh, in sexual fantasies about other people, it is the same as if you have gone out and done that act. Well, this plays into the, another thing that is happening in the Middle East right now and Netflix, which Netflix came out with their very first Arab uh, production, Arabic production, and it is a, a spinoff of a Western film and the, the Western film is called Perfect Strangers. The idea of this show, of this movie, is that there's a bunch of people at a dinner party. Someone's phone rings and they're like, hey, I have a good idea. Let's, for the, the span of our dinner party, put our phones on the table and any phone call that we get, any text message we get, any email that, we, that comes in, we, everyone gets to see it and read it. And we get to know the truth of what's happening via everyone's phones. This film is called um, Asab Wallahaz. And the film goes on to reveal shocking truths of infidelity, premarital sex, adultery, and homosexuality. Normalizing, celebrating, and exposing things that are happening in, in communities already across the Across the world, not just the Arab world, not just the Western world, but the world at large. I can testify that living in the Middle East, I've had guys make passes at me numerous times, numerous times. Talk to my cousins in the south side of Chicago. They have guys making passes, passes at them numerous times. But Egypt is in an uproar, and I think really rightly so. They're saying they're, that Netflix is creating a war on morality, one lawyer argued, and that the film promotes homosexuality, while another said it seeks to destroy family values as a part of a systematic war on morals. Oh, ho, ho. where have we heard this before? We've been saying this, that out of Hollywood, out of the West, out of media, that there is a war against family values. Now, family values is a broad term because outside of outside of modern recent history, these values 2,000, 3,000 years ago, the values of uh, being able to have promiscuous lifestyles, whether it's homosexual or non-homosexual or just sleeping around, when you look at the Greeks and Plato, when you look at their writings, they were living just rampant flesh-based homosexual um, sleeping around lifestyles. While at the same time, very oppressive to women. If women even had one sip of wine and a husband smelt it, he could have her killed. That's where kissing on the cheek comes from. The husband would come home and kiss his wife on the cheek to smell if she had any wine because the presumption was that if a woman has even one sip of wine, she is for sure going to commit adultery. And women couldn't sleep around, but men could sleep around. So a very much a double standard, even when it goes all the way back to hundreds uh, thousands of years ago. But when we, when we talk about 
family values. It's where where do we get this idea of family values? And really, those these come from the, these monotheistic faiths that say you shouldn't sleep around, you shouldn't have adultery, and homosexuality, bestiality is is sinful. It's wrong. It's bad. It should be punishable. So, the West, progressivism, Marxism, socialism. We've talked about this. They they realize that if they could so in so in um, immorality to a culture that if they could destroy family values in a culture that they could break the line of inheritance they could keep people in poverty they could keep families broken and in poverty and reliant on the state and they would then be able to come in see an uprising and take power because it's the family values that hold together society. Families hold together society. If you can destroy that, you can see a revolution, a colored revolution in any nation you want. I've been saying, we've been saying, we've been seeing it for years now that these ideologies are not just something that's happening in the West. They're not just something that's happening in Europe, but they are coming to every part of the world. They're coming here to the Middle East. They're coming to the global South. They're coming to across India and the Central Asia. They're coming to Afghanistan. They're already here. So the, the question is, and I don't think I have a clear answer on it today. Maybe I do. How do you Stand for what you believe. Stand firm for what you believe while not entering into that cancel culture, while not seeking to censor and silence your opponent, while not seeking to condemn those who think differently than you, to condemn those who have a different point of view. How do you love those people that you see to directly threaten everything that you stand for and believe? And that is a hard question. But I think that is something that must be done. We must be able to say, this is right and this is wrong, and here's why. We must be able to say, this is our moral plumb line. This is what we stand on. This is what we believe. This is how we ought to walk out our life. And I've gotten a lot of, a lot of kickback and flack from this, especially from listeners in the West when it comes to anything about the trans agenda of saying this, this is, it's really a delusion. You wanting me to use your pronouns, it's a delusion. You might think that you are the strongest person on earth. You might think that you're handsome, beautiful, gorgeous, whatever, but you cannot compulse me to refer to you as handsome every time I see you or beautiful every time I address you. That is your opinion, and I do not have to enter into that delusion of your biological gender or sex. But in getting kickback so often, people saying, I don't, you know, if, if someone from the LGBT plus Q community listened to your stuff, would, would they find it being welcoming? And it's a challenging thought. And it's like, well, really, that's not the audience that I'm speaking to, but I do want to be respectful and kind while still speaking the truth. But the truth is this. It truly is a delusion. If, some, if an adult wants to do that, 
they're an adult. They can, they can refer to themselves any way that they want. But that does not mean that as society, we need to affirm that. Does not mean that as society, we should go along and be like, oh, yes, you are a Korean, for instance. You identify as Korean, okay. You identify as a tree, okay. I'll identify as you as that too. We do not need to go along with that delusion. We should still be able to objectively say, actually, mm, no, that's not true. Likewise, we ought to be able to say, this is what we believe when it comes to our faith, when it comes to the way, the moral code that we have been given of how we should live out our life. However, I'm going to have friendship and I'm going to love the person in front of me. And we've done that even here. I've done that and demonstrated that here on the show, even with Derek Kahn, who, who passed away from complications with COVID in 2021, quite tragically and sadly. But he was a friend of mine. We'd have him over for dinner, sit at their dinner table with our family. We'd laugh, we'd tell jokes, go out and spend time with him. A, a, a lovely person, funny, great to be around, had him on the show. Do I agree with his lifestyle? No, but he's also not a follower of my faith. How can I put on him the beliefs of my faith? All I can do is follow the tenets of my faith, which also say to love him, to be kind to him. But we can do that while still maintaining our moral code, our moral basis of saying, this is what we believe is right or wrong. That doesn't mean you have to believe that, but this is what we believe. So where it comes back to Egypt, and the, the outrage that people are seeing and saying, I do think that the normalization of homosexuality, the normalization of the trans agenda, I do think that it's dangerous. And the reason I think it's dangerous is because it is, it, it, it's the, what we've seen happen in the West through sitcoms, through shows like Friends, through shows, uh, it wasn't quite Seinfeld, but Two and a Half Men through Hollywood, it has normalized, normalized promiscuity, it has normalized immorality. And that has led to the part of the things that are leading to the downfall of Western society in America. So the community ought to be outraged. The community ought to stand up. However, we must also realize that this is a depiction of what's happening. People are having affairs. People are having premarital affairs. People are having homosexual affairs across this region. Hiding it and pretending like it doesn't exist isn't the way forward. How we find that way forward? You know what? I'm really not sure. Well, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. This is a value for value podcast which means that we don't have big sponsors. You're not seeing a whole bunch of ads on the show. But instead, it's through support of thousands of people who come and listen to the show every month that keeps this show on the air. So if you'd like to support this show and the value that you receive value out of it, you can go 
over to lucasscrobot.com and you can give your hard, cold fiat there. Or you can listen to a podcast certified 2.0 app where you can stream Bitcoin, which is suffering right now, which means it might be your perfect time to get in and buy some Bitcoin. But, and that's not financial advice, by the way. Uh, you can get, give and give Bitcoin there by streaming this show on a podcast certified app like Breeze or Sphinx or Podfriend. Well, don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destinies. I mentioned that last year I was canceled, uh, canceled by a number of people, especially when it came to the issues surrounding the Palestine-Israel conflict. I was very adamant. I spoke out a lot about where I saw the conflict going, which again, echoed the the political stances of the many nations in the Arab Gulf, which is that Hamas is a terrorist organization and Palestine and Israel should work out their, their junk and we need to figure out how to make peace between the two. But bombing is not the answer. Bombing is not the answer. Well, people did not like the fact that I had any sort of semblance of a pro-Israel side, and they proceeded to cancel me. It wasn't just that they said, hey, I don't like what you think. It was people going out of their way to find people who were friends with me, who were standing in relationship with me, not even about anything political, but just had association with me, and it caused me to lose a number of friendships. And that's fine. That's, that's their choices. They're able to do that. But it was cancel culture. It was painful. It hurt to lose some of these friends. It didn't really make any sense. But from that, I realized that, hmm, some people really don't like me. And that's okay. I've been promised that people won't like me. If, people, if everyone likes you, you have a problem. You have a real problem if everyone likes you. So I took it with a, in stride and celebrated that, hey, at least I'm saying what I believe. At least I have the courage to say what I believe, to say what I think, and that I'm not hiding in the shadows when it comes to some of these important topics. Well, the, the fallout of that, I realized I had some different businesses, uh, opportunities and projects with a number of people, and I didn't want them to pay a consequence for associating with me. So I reached out to a number of people and had really great conversations saying, hey, just so you know, you might've seen that people have been canceling me online. You've seen it on the Instagrams. I just want to let you know, I don't know where you stand on all this, but I just want to make you aware. This is my stance. I'm fine if you think differently, but I don't want you to be put in a place where people are attacking you because of what I believe. So I'm willing to limit my association with you because I care about my, my professional relationship with you and business relationships. I had to say that to a number of people. 
this all comes around to today where I'm launching, I've been launching a, a new business here in the region. And I have been wary, I have been hesitant to connect my name to this project. I haven't announced it. I haven't talked about it. It's being kept very secret. It's been kept very much on the hush hush. And here's why. It comes, it comes back to the quotes today, the ancient quotes from Nebi Suleiman, from King Solomon, from thousands of years ago. So it really is ancient wisdom, but there's two conflicting quotes. Here's the first. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. That comes from Proverbs 22, verse 3. The, the prudent sees danger and hides. That's what I did. I said, okay, whoa, I see a bunch of danger right now. I don't want to put others in danger. I'm going to hide myself. Even right now, it's saying, okay, I'm launching this this new business. It's in the infantile stage. It is just an embryo. It's not even fully launched yet. If I open this up too soon, if I share too soon, I see the danger. I see that people could mobilize against me. I see that just one or two people could ruin things for me in a significant way. So I'm going I'm to be quiet about it because it hasn't been brought to fruition yet. Here's the next quote. Proverbs 22, verse 13, just 10 verses later, it says, the slugger says, there's a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. The slugger says, there's a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. How do these two connect? Well, it's sometimes very hard to determine between, ah, I'm just afraid. I'm afraid Someone could be out there and get me the big bad cancel culture, the big bad wolf out there. I'm going to hide in the streets. I'm going to capitulate to the fears that I have. Or should you be bold and go out and say, you know what? There might be a lion out there. I might be killed in the streets, but I'm going to go forward regardless. Just like going back to the first quote, the prudent sees dangers and hide, but the simple go on and suffer for it. How do you determine, how do you decide when something is worth facing the danger? Because you know what? You might be killed, but that's life. But it's not out of laziness that you're hiding, but it's out of prudence that you're hiding. Well, in many ways, it goes back to what we're seeing with the UAE. To bring this full circle with the UAE, they're saying, hey, it's, gonna, it's prudence to hide this conflict between the Houthis and Abu Dhabi and the Emirates. Because as I said, what, what would we do if there were ballistic missiles being shot down over New York City or over Miami? The world would freak out. So they're, they're hiding that. They're concealing that. They're being strategic about how to communicate that. While at the same time, they're not capitulating and saying, ah, there's a line in the streets. We might be killed. We better cave to Yemen's demands. We better cave, not even to Yemen's demands, to the Houthis' demands. Likewise, in, in my situation, there's a mix of saying, well, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to build this business. It's going to succeed. It's going to be amazing. However, I'm not going to share too early. And I talk about this in my book, Anchored, The Discipline to Stop Drifting. I, I talk about 
not sharing your dreams until you've done them or being very selective of who you share your dreams to because there's a number of things that can happen. First, if you share your dreams too soon and you say, I'm going to do this, 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 I'm going to climb the tallest mountain, build the best tech company, write a book, make an album, start a podcast. People say, oh yeah, that's so great. You're so awesome. It's going to be the best thing ever. And then you feel full. You feel like, yeah. You feel that praise. You feel that satisfaction as if you've already done it, but you haven't yet. But you do need to share it with a small group of people, a small group of people who will give you critical feedback, who will encourage you, but who won't kill your dream before it is born. And that is the the application point from this segment. Be careful who you share your dreams with. Don't be the sluggard who hides and doesn't do the dream, but do lay the foundation for your dreams. Lay the foundation for your dream of losing weight and getting, getting healthier, getting stronger. Start working out. Do it in secret. Do it every day so that people then come and look at you and say like, hey, what, what's different about like, what's different about you? What's this thing that's going on here? And you're like, oh, yeah, I started working out six months ago. They're like, oh, you didn't tell me. Like, yeah. And, and people see the fruit of your action rather than sharing a dream too soon and the praise or the negativity or the cancel culture or the haters effectively killing and aborting the very thing that you want to see come to fruition. Sometimes our words, speaking forth of that vision before it's time, before it's ready, will kill the very thing that we seek to build. Well, speaking of speaking, if you want to get more out of this show, more out of this podcast, you can do that by giving to your community. And one of the best ways to give is by sharing this podcast. Whenever someone shares a podcast with me and they text it to me or WhatsApp it to me, I feel so loved. So text this podcast, this episode, or any of the other episodes to one of your friends and say, hey, I listened to this episode. Tell me, what do you think? Also, if you have a question for me, you can WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. I'm going to be happy to answer the question even here on the show. Finally, you... You are someone who does not hide in the darkness, but you are someone who pursues light, who pursues truth, who is willing to stand up and say what you believe while at the same time not feeling like you have to take vengeance on those who don't believe like you do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you and I can own the future.